Tonight we want to turn to John chapter 4 and we're thinking about the nature of true and acceptable worship. John chapter 4 and we're going to read in verse 20 but remember the context this famous evangelistic passage the Lord Jesus needed to go through Samaria because it was binding on his heart to seek and to save a serial adulteress who had lived a life of blatant immorality, a life of blasphemous idolatry. And Jesus confronted her with her great need to have a drink of living water. And remember what he said to her? Go call your husband. Because he knew. She had no husband. She'd had five husbands, and the one she was living with at that point was not her husband. He confronts her with her life of blatant immorality, but then in verse 22, he confronts her with blasphemous idolatry. You worship what you do not know. But it's in this context of this awesome evangelistic encounter that the Lord teaches not only her but us the nature of true worship. Let's back up to verse, well, let's look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She didn't yet know she was face to face with the great and final prophet, the Lord Jesus. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, before we get into the nature of worship, what we're going to focus on in verse 24, what we understand here that this woman, before she can become a faithful witness for the Lord, she must first be transformed into a fervent worshiper of the Lord. She's going to become a powerful witness for the Lord, but first she must learn how to worship in spirit and in truth. If you conduct a careful study of the Great Commission, you may discover something, uh, be alerted to something that we don't normally become aware of. When a preacher usually begins to preach on the Great Commission, he'll start uh, usually with verse 18 when, he's, when Jesus says, All authority has been given unto me in the heavens on the earth. But if you back up to verse 17, the scripture says, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. And there that saw means they saw Jesus with 
spiritual perception. They were graced to see Jesus for who He is with the eyes of faith as the risen Redeemer, the Messiah, as Thomas would confess, my Lord and my God. And how did they respond to that spiritual perception of the true identity of Jesus? They worshipped Him. They bowed down and submitted themselves to Him. And worship is always the proper response when a man, a woman, a young person has been given spiritual eyes of faith. Amen? Before we can walk with Him, before we can work with Him, before we can witness for Him, we must first worship Him as the supreme love and sovereign Lord of our lives. As a matter of fact, the ultimate priority for our lives here on the earth is not the evangelism of the lost. And that's what I am, an evangelist. No, the ultimate priority is the worship of the Lord, as we heard this morning, to live for His glory, to magnify Jesus. This is to be our primary duty. This is to be our supreme delight, our witnessing for the Lord must overflow from our daily worship of the Lord. So our great passion should be that I may know Him in a life of true and acceptable worship. And the more we know Him, the greater our passion is to make Him known to other rebels who need to be transformed into worshipers. Did you notice what Jesus said at the second half of verse 23? The Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is seeking those who will worship the Lord as the preeminent passion of their life. God is seeking that His people would worship Him as the chief object of their devotion and the chief source of their delight. And listen, when a man, a woman, a young person is a fervent worshiper, they'll be a faithful witness for the Lord. As a matter of fact, the whole purpose of evangelism is to populate the earth with more passionate worshipers of the Lord. The primary motive for me to witness to lost people is not for them to get a ticket to heaven or to get some fire insurance from hell or any other felt needs that that sinner may have. That's a man-centered approach to evangelism. The primary motive for evangelism is to bring glory to God so that the glory of God may be known and cherished by more and more people. Romans 15.9 says, Why are Gentiles like us converted? That they might glorify God. For His mercy. 2 Corinthians 4.15 Saving grace having spread to more and more people they may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. In that passage I was quoting from this morning in Ephesians 1 what is our conversion all about? What is our salvation all about? It's to the praise of the glory of His grace. 
So the, my entire motivation for evangelism is to populate the earth with more and more people who will be authentically worshiping the Lord from their hearts because of his astounding love, his amazing grace, his marvelous mercy. And brothers and sisters, when we're worshiping him, as the passion and priority of our lives, we will have a desire and a determination to go to those neighbors, those friends, those workmates, those people that God brings across our path to see them converted to Jesus. Now that's the introduction. Let's get to verse 24. Very familiar verse, but we want to pick it apart tonight. Verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now there's an old saying which people used to speak of a person like me. They may say, that guy, Ed Lacey, he's so heavenly minded that he is of no what? Earthly good. But Jesus says we'll never be of any earthly good in the kingdom of God until we're first heavenly minded by living a life of true worship. And here we're, we're just moving on from what we heard this morning and now the Lord Jesus himself is giving us more light concerning what it means to be a true and acceptable worship of the Lord. And now the worshiper of the Lord. And now the Lord digs into two very vital aspects of acceptable worship. Let's park on the first one for a while tonight. To worship in spirit. Notice this is not a suggestion. This is not a nice idea. This is not an optional extra. Jesus says we must worship God in spirit. Now, when we think about that, it's obvious that you and I can only worship God in spirit by the infusing power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so a person must be born of the Spirit before they can possibly worship God in spirit, for that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're moving out of John chapter 3. And Jesus has just had that nighttime encounter with the number one teacher of all Israel who was yet lost in his sins. And Jesus said to him, what? Unless you are what? Born again, born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born twice, unless you are born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, we, we can't enter the kingdom of God without the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit because for 29 years in my life, before the miraculous working of the new birth, I was dead in trespasses and sins. And so how can a sinner worship God 
when they're dead in sin. No, I had to be made alive by the Spirit. I had to be indwelt by the Spirit before I could worship God in spirit. We heard this verse this morning in Philippians 3 and verse 3. Speaking to born-again believers, we are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit. Now that tells me there must be a supernatural circumcision of the heart. We must be born of the Spirit or we cannot worship in Spirit. And it is this miraculous birthing of the Spirit when He brings the Gospel not in word only, but a demonstration of power and deep conviction that resurrects the sinner from spiritual death that illuminates the blinded mind, that sets the captive free and transforms a rebel like I was into a worshiper of God. How can a sinner see when they're blind? How can a sinner enter into a saving knowledge of the God who is unknowable to their own desperately, hopelessly wicked heart. How can a sinner experience eternal life without the life of God in their soul? They must be graced with a heavenly call. You know, I can preach to people's ears. I can go all over the world and preach to people's ears. But only God can give a call that resurrects a sin-deadened heart. Amen? Saul of Tarsus radically transformed on the road to Damascus to become a personal, passionate worshiper of the Lord. You know he was inspired to write the entire epistle to the church at Rome, and after 11 chapters of doctrine, listen to these profound words in verse 33 of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Here's what I want you to hear. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What do you want me to see, Brother Ed? Oh, the theology in his mind produced a doxology in his heart. And it should be the same for us. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well. He's contrasting the reality of a person who is born of the Spirit and is worshiping God in spirit. He's contrasting true and spiritual worship from a person who's been born of God with the lifeless, empty tradition and ritualistic worship that was taking place not only in the temple of Gerizim, but also in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was all vastly ceremonial, ritualistic, carnal, superficial, dead. The worship of the vast majority of the Jewish nation at this time that was totally apostate had become empty, ritual, just a bunch of rules and regulations, but no 
inward reality of passionate worship. Why? Because even though they were up to their eyeballs in religion, and religious affiliation, and religious attendance, and religious activity, they were still dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, but the Lord was saying to this woman in false religion, there's a new day of worship dawning when the true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit. Amen? Now, if you're out in the noonday sun and the sun is shining down brightly, there's no need for a candle, is there? And Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to be no more need for the candles of the shadows and the types and the symbols of the old, uh, the old ceremonial law when the Son of God has appeared in all of his blazing glory, all of the Old Testament, the Jewish Old Testament symbols, types, and ceremonies, they were only to instruct the men of their day toward the coming Messiah. They were never uh, meant to be worshipped. They were only types. All the sacrifices and the altars and the priests, it was all only symbols to remind the Jewish people of the pristine holiness and inflexible justice of God and their own lost, rebellious, guilty condition before God and their desperate need of a Savior, a Redeemer, a Deliverer. All of the Old Testament animal sacrifices were just to remind them that God is a holy God. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. And every sin de demands God's punishment of it. Every sin demands God's hatred of it. Uh, that's what all that was about. It was just pronouncing, listen, that the wages of sin is death. And they were in desperate need of a sinless sacrifice to be provided as their substitute. And the circumcision of the flesh was just a symbol to point toward the desperate need of the circumcision of the heart. Oh, but Jesus is now declaring that all the candles of the Old Testament are being replaced by the blazing glory of the Son of God. There is a far greater glory in the new covenant. Amen? Well, Paul speaks of the surpassing glory of the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 3. He gives a, a, a very intricate uh, explanation of the glory of the new covenant and in the midst of it he calls it the ministry of the Spirit. We're thinking about worshiping in spirit. Now, why does he call the new covenant the ministry of the Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit now comes to indwell true worshipers. So we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit if we're going to worship God in a manner that is acceptable to God because the new covenant is a condition of much higher grace, much greater glory. Much brighter light, much clearer 
true. So you and I should respond in a much more spiritual manner of worship than that which was possible in the old covenant era. So if you've been born of the Spirit, that means the wind of God has blown on your sin-deadened heart. He has made you alive together in Christ. So listen, the garden of that new heart should be responding with bouquets of flowers of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must worship in spirit. Oh, but there's a little more there. Because when God is calling us to worship in spirit, he's speaking about an internal reality of worship that is flowing from an authentic heart, from a single-minded heart. Now, when we think about worshiping in spirit, we're thinking about the subjective side of worship because worship has both a subjective side and an objective side. And now when I think of the subjective and objective side of worship, I like to use the old Puritan terms of light and heat. Light worshiping God according to the sound doctrine of the objective truth of the Word of God, and heat a passionate love for the God of the doctrine which is flowing out of the fountain of a single heart to the Lord. And when we think about worshiping in spirit, we could speak about the heat of true worship. Worshiping God from a genuine authenticity from the heart. Worshiping the Lord with a blazing intensity in the heart, because the heart is the inner core of who you are. The heart is the center of your personality. And God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him with an authentic heart, with a blazing heart with a heart that is boiling over in adoration for Jesus and allegiance to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Not just a bunch of uh, external religious activities with an outward appearance of adherence to some religious rules and regulations. No, authentic worship is not even primarily defined as singing songs. We call that worship. But really it's praise, it's thanksgiving, if your heart's right with God. But I was submitting to you this morning that worship is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, living with a passion to magnify the Lord Jesus, overflowing with an enthusiastic determination to live your life for the glory of God. That is not accomplished by just showing up at church. That may be congregational worship if it's an overflow of your life of worship. But at the same time, we can be honoring God with our lips. 
and yet our hearts far from him and worshiping in vain. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And when Jesus marched to Calvary, he purchased the right to be the undisputed champion of your heart. He bought the right to be the preeminent treasure of your heart. So acceptable worship, worshiping in spirit, is to prostrate our heart before the Lord in holy awe and astonishment of the God who has redeemed us. We're talking about an adoration to the King of Kings flowing from a sincere heart. That's what he's saying. You know a man or a woman can have a head full of doctrine and yet have a heart that is empty of passionate worship for the Lord? Oh yeah, I've met a bunch of them. But that's not worship in the Spirit. We must worship with a genuine heart. A heart that has been united unified in a single-minded devotion to the Lord. That, that's what he's talking about. Singleness of heart. And what is the opposite of being single-minded? Double-minded. This is why James said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. A double-minded man or woman is, has welcomed rival loves into that preeminent position where only Jesus has the right to rule as supreme love. Their heart has been distracted by someone else or something else that is seeking to take over that preeminent place or share that preeminent place where Jesus is to be the supreme object of worship alone. Oh, but when a person is double-minded, preeminent place is being challenged by someone or something. And it's impossible to worship in spirit when you're double-minded. Jesus has the sovereign right to receive our single-minded devotion. And to worship in spirit means we're Worshiping Him with an undivided heart. This is why the psalmist prayed to the Lord in Psalms 86, 11 and 12. He said, Lord, unite my heart to fear Your name. You could replace it with to worship Your name. And I will praise You, O Lord my God, with all of my heart. With an undivided heart. Heart. That's the picture. To worship with a single heart to the Lord. A heart that has been united in single-minded devotion to Jesus. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, but this brother, this sister who is worshiping in spirit, their heart has been freed from idolatry. 
It's a heart without compromise. It's totally occupied with Jesus as the number one obsession of the life. It's like a garden, the heart is, where all the weeds of idolatry have been extracted. What do you mean by idolatry? You know a born-again believer can enter through the narrow gate, be walking on the narrow road, and subtly and sinfully allow idols to slip into that place in their heart. Yeah, anyone or anything that has become as important to you or more important than your intimacy with Jesus, it's an idol. Now, the person or the thing may not be wicked within itself, but it becomes detestable to God when you value it as highly or more highly than you are treasuring Jesus. But to worship in spirit, this brother or sister gathers up the totality of their heart and presents it to Jesus in worship. Amen? This is why the Scripture says they honor me with their lips. Their hearts are hard, far from me. So many people on a Sunday morning going through the motions of worship. They're at the right place. They're at the right time. They're going through what they go through every Sunday, their ritualistic visit to church, but really it's empty. It's useless. It's worthless because they're not worshiping in spirit. There are idols in their heart of hearts. What about your heart? Are there idols in your heart competing with Jesus being the preeminent love? Are there weeds that need to be extracted? That need to be repented of? Jesus is saying, listen, being at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, is not enough. He wants worship from the heart. He wants a heart that has been liberated from idols to serve the living God from the heart. That's a worshiper who's worshiping in spirit. And listen, this person who's worshiping in spirit is not worshiping the Lord for the sake of his gifts to them. He's worshiping the Lord, not because of what he or she can get from him, but simply because of who God is in all the majesty and glory of his name. I heard the story about a dad who'd been working uh, in his occupation all day long, and on this particular day, it seemed like everybody who wanted to have a meeting with him wanted to get something from him. Now, that's all he heard all day long. Give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. Well, he arrived home in the evening rather distracted and frustrated uh, by this day. And when he sat down in his favorite chair, his little boy came running to him and jumped up in his lap. But the dad, still thinking about that day, said to his son, Son, what do you want? And the little boy said, I don't want anything from you, Dad. I just want to be with you. 
That's the picture. That, that's what it means to worship in spirit. We're not coming to get something. We're coming to worship from an authentic heart because of the glory of who he is. You know, there's an element in, of selfishness in praise and thanksgiving. Because it's always focused on what God has done for us. But worship is focused on the glory of the splendor of who he is. Mary exhibited this for us, didn't she? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing, heeding his word. Suddenly, she is overcome with reckless worship. She goes away, comes back with that jar of alabaster, that jar of very costly perfume, equal to a year's wages of a laborer, probably her entire life savings. You would think she'd keep half of it for her retirement, but no, she breaks the jar. <laughs> and pours out the whole thing on the Lord, and the room is filled with the aroma of worship. We must worship in spirit. But that's not the end of the story tonight. He says we must worship in spirit and in truth. And what is he saying there? He, he's speaking about worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping the Lord as He is revealed in the pages of the Word of God. Remember, there's a subjective side of worship. It's the heat of worship, worshiping with an authenticity from the heart, worshiping in spirit. But there's also an objective side of worship, and that is to worship the Lord in a manner that is rooted and grounded in the objective truth of the Word of God. Worshiping the living Word as He's being revealed to us in the written Word. It's a life of worship that is being shaped and molded by the truth of the Word of God. Have you ever known uh, uh, some particular churches that they're, they're totally focused on doctrine. They're utterly committed to sound doctrine. They are dotting every doctrinal I. They are crossing every doctrinal T. But at the same time, they appear to be frozen in dead orthodoxy. There is no blazing adoration for the Lord Jesus. It's kind of a cool and clinical approach. They have a whole lot of intellectual information about God, but there doesn't appear to be any flaming intensity of adoration for the Lord. Seems to be a lack of vitality. A whole lot of light. But where's the heat? I put it this way. They're worshiping the doctrines of God. But they're failing to worship the God in the doctrine revealed. 
But on the other hand, you have churches that are so exciting, so emotional, so enthusiastic. They're having all kinds of ecstatic experiences, but their minds are not rooted and grounded in the sound doctrines of the Word of God. They have a lot of so-called heat. Very little light. They're contaminated by a multitude of Errors and they all of their excitement and emotions are nothing but enthusiasm about a lie. But Jesus says acceptable worship must be both sincere in devotion and sound in doctrine. Amen. So we're thinking about the objective side of worship, and that involves a right apprehension and application of the Word of God from a heart that has a flaming adoration for the Lord of the Word. In other words, it's both head and heart. It's not either or. It's to be both. In other words, the only heat of blazing worship that is acceptable to God is the heat that comes from the light of the sound doctrine of the Word of God. Now the one who's saying this, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the truth. And he says we are to worship him in truth. We are to have a lifestyle of worship that is guided and governed by the word of God. We're not creating a God of our own imagination. We're not making God in our image. We're not attempting to dilute, to water down the biblical revelation of God. No, we're going to worship him as he is revealed through the revelation of Scripture because we're seeking to have a right apprehension of God as He has revealed Himself so that our lives will be directed and dominated by the truth. Amen? Now, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm quoting the greatest mind of American history, the greatest theologian of all American history. Jonathan Edwards once said this, I desire to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can, provided that they are affected with nothing but the truth. We're talking about a heart response to the truth. Acceptable worship must be based in the truth. If not, it's, it's worship of uh, worshiping error. We can't worship in truth if our, our minds are saturated with false doctrine. No, we must have a sound doctrine combined with a passionate love for the Lord. Sound doctrine without blazing affections for Jesus is cold orthodoxy. But all kinds of emotional and ecstatic experiences that are not rooted in sound doctrine is just delirium based on deception. The one who says, I am the truth, says we must worship in truth. And that means it must be word-centered. Amen? 
but it also must be Christ-centered, cross-centered. Jesus says, I'm the way, I am the truth. John 1.17 says, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus. John 1.14, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation. So He must be the beginning and the end of our worship. Drop down to verse 25. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. She knew that much. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Lady, you are face to face with the Messiah. The one gazing into your being is the great high priest, the great and final prophet, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, God made manifest in the flesh. The one looking into her soul was Emmanuel, God with us. And listen, everything that we have from God comes through the merits of Jesus. Amen? So all of our worship of God must go through the mediation of Jesus. When Jesus cried, it is finished, the veil to the entrance of the Holy of Holies was torn into, and because of His finished work and His present intercession, we can enter into the holiest with confidence because of the blood of the Lamb. Amen? So we must worship Him in the way that He has ordained. And God commands us to honor the Son just as we honor. The Holy Spirit has come to put the spotlight on Jesus. God the Father has highly exalted Jesus, given Him a name above every name. And we must focus our worship on the Father and the Son. Amen. Listen to Revelation 5.12 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Listen to verse 13. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And what will be the glorious fruit of a man or even a serial adulteress who begins to worship in spirit and in truth? Oh, notice verse 28. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And verse 39 says, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in Jesus because of the word that the woman testified. Oh, this wicked woman came to know true worship. The nature of worship, 
the object of true worship. And when she was transformed from a rebel into a worshiper, immediately she became a witness. She discovered her own lostness, her own sinfulness. She discovered salvation and forgiveness in the Messiah and her very reason for existence on this earth she came to know, which is to worship the true and living God in spirit and in truth. And immediately she had a tremendous desire to tell others about what Jesus had done for her. Her worship energized her to witness. She'd been graced with a desire and determination to fulfill the great commandment. And because she had, she had a passion to fulfill the great commission. When she began to know what it means to love the Lord her God, she began to love her neighbors enough testify about Jesus. And you and I can glorify God in the same way when we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? We're just in the starting blocks. I pray you'll come back tomorrow night. And you pray for me. I'm trying to cram 11 sermons into five. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you came to this wicked man many years ago now. Didn't know anything about you, Lord, and was mocking you. But you are so amazing in your grace and mercy. Thank you that you came. You needed to go through New Orleans, Louisiana to make a divine appointment with a wretch like me and to transform me from a rebel into a worshiper. Lord, help me to be obedient every day to be found worshiping you with a blazing heart according to your sound doctrine. Jesus' name. Amen.